understand is the amount of the physical pain that Jesus went through. And, but I want you to think about that and to realize at times many how fortunate we are to have the resources we have, uh, to have the health that we have. And however you would go back and think about that, one of the things I want you to do as we take communion this morning is to take a, uh, the cracker or the wafer or the piece of bread that you have, and I want you to hold it. I don't want you to eat it. I want you to hold it because I want you to think about a couple of things. And if you're in a home where you have family sitting around, I'd like you to take the bread in one hand and I'd like you to put your hand in, in the hand of someone beside you. Now, if you're by yourself, that obviously is difficult. I'd like you to take your hand and just hold your wrist or put your fingers on your other wrist like you were trying to find your pulse. And I want to mention three things about the idea of Christ's suffering but the reality of his presence. The first one is to remember that Christ is a real person. He is as real as you touching your own hand or the person of whose hand you are holding. He is not a made-up, fictitious person. He is not a fairy tale character. He walked on this earth and he had flesh and blood and bones just like you and I did. And so when he went through this brutality, he felt it, I believe, exponentially more pain and suffering and searing agony than you and I can hardly even imagine. The second thing I want you to remember is you hold your spouse's hand or your kid's hand or you're taking your own pulse is to remember that Christ shed his blood for every person that's sitting in that room with you. He, is, he shed his blood for not just you as an individual and for your family, but for every single person in the world. That's what John 3.16 tells us. For God so loved the world that he gave his son. And at the heart of that, maybe not the most significant, is the brutality of this physical suffering to a real person, as real as you and I, in that, in that context. The final thing that I want you to think about as you're holding this bread, and this is where, if you're a family, your kids can participate in this part of this, this remembrance, is to remember that someday every person who is a true child of God, who's placed faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, will just like Thomas did when Jesus appeared to him, there's going to be that one day when we stand face to face with Jesus and you're going to be able to reach out your hand and take his hand and you will feel it as real as the person's hand you're holding right now. He is a real person. He is now fit for eternity, and someday he's going to resurrect us, and we're going to join him. But you will be able to reach out your hand and grasp his hand is just as real as what you have in front of you. You know, what I want you to do with this bread is not to eat it. And this is where all the kids, whether they're old enough to take communion or not, can participate. And if you've got a bowl in front of you, I want you to just put that bread in the bowl. Because the bowl, in a sense, represents the grave. This is Christ gave up his life in order that you and I might discover new life in him. And so as we think about that, I want you to consider the fact that a real person died for real people. And someday, those who have surrendered to God by putting faith in Christ will get to see him face to face, and we'll see the scars on his back and on his hands of what he did for you and for me and for this world. Before we look at his emotional suffering, I just want to bow and invite you to pray with me. Father, there is something astounding 
that we have gone through circumstances in life that for the most part for us may be circumstantial. They were accidents, they were mishaps, they were things that we didn't see coming. They might be sicknesses, and I know so many people dealing with cancer and dealing with other illnesses that at times can be profoundly debilitating. And yet there is very few things that are more overwhelming than to see human beings carry out such inhumane things, a moral evil of ungodliness in exponential ways to torture and beat and to crucify another human being. And so, Father, we are grateful that we could not pay the penalty ourselves, but that Christ was our substitute. And we thank you for this immeasurable sacrifice that he made in giving up his life. And we thank you in Christ's name. Amen. You know, the other side of this that we don't talk about very much and may not be able to explore is the, the emotional suffering of Jesus. And we want to remember this incredible stress, this intense sorrow and agonizing grief that his soul went through in this process. So we're going to hear from Isaiah 52 and Psalm 22. You know, it's tempting to think that because Jesus was God, that he just kind of insulated himself to the realities of these horrors. And yet he didn't. He suffered an extreme process for our sake. And so as we think on this, I want you to consider the mental stress, the anguish of his soul, the agony that was there. As I think on that, I think of Matthew 26 where he said, and he began to be grieved and distressed And he said, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Jesus suffered at the hands of human beings. And it seems far more catastrophic than just circumstantial pain that we go through. And so as we consider this, I want you to take this second piece of bread. And as we consider the enormity of a sacrifice... And parents, this is where you might have to encourage your kids just to absorb, uh, observe what you're doing rather than have them participate in this part, is that together we want to take this bread in recognition that Jesus Christ gave up his life and he shed his blood for us. And it's because of that that we can have life. So I'm going to encourage you to take this piece and eat it in remembrance of Jesus Father, we are amazed and astounded 
that the one who created the universe took to himself flesh and blood to become like us. And even though we are your creation, you allowed your son to go through this brutality. It was not just something he insulated himself, but he absorbed the full weight of your wrath and, and the activities of ungodly men. And he felt it to the core of his being. There are a few things in life that touch our soul and our spirit more powerfully than intense, searing, physical pain. It can debilitate us. It can want us to give up. It can discourage us. It can help. At times, it forces us to even question our faith. And yet, regardless of our circumstances, we want to stare into the face of Christ and know that what he endured so that we might have life. And for this we pray, in Christ's name, amen. You know, he not only physically suffered, but he shed his blood. And so there are a couple of passages that we want to look at, namely Hebrews chapter 9, and just to hear what the cost of this shed blood was for us. God could have had us do anything. He could have had to do good works. He could have had us be really religious and spiritual. In the Old Testament, they sprinkled everything with blood as a symbol of what Christ was going to do even for them. And at the the core of this, what is clear is that the penalty for our sin is death. The penalty for our sin is death. It's not recoverable. And so as we consider what Christ did, it becomes profound for us to know that because we are incapable of paying the penalty ourselves and surviving, that Jesus is the perfect sacrifice, did it for us. The idea is that either God is a lunatic to allow his own son to suffer in this way, or the amount of the sin that we bear that is offensive to God is far more catastrophic and significant. The problem is most of us think we're basically good. We don't think we're that bad. Why would it take the sacrifice of God's son to do this? Well, the problem is we're not looking at our lives from God's perspective. And so as we consider this, I want you to take the, second, the first cup and your, all your family can participate in this. But as a symbol of the fact that without Christ paying the penalty of giving up his life, and that's what shedding of blood is about, it's about giving up of life, we would have no hope of eternity. And so I want you to take that cup, that juice, and pour that into the bowl that's in front of you as a symbol of the reality that Christ suffered and shed his blood so that we might have life. And with that in mind, I want to continue this this attitude of prayer before God to express our thanksgiving for what he's done. Father, it is hard for us to think in many people's lives that we've done enough bad things that would warrant this kind of punishment. It's just something that we don't get. We think that we're basically good, and we've convinced ourselves if you're you're really a God of love 
and that we do our best, that you will simply accept us because you're a loving God. But Father, we forget that you love us despite who we are, not because of who we are. Your word tells us that we are weak and incapable of paying the price for our sin and surviving. You tell us that we're ungodly and that we're sinners and that we're enemies of you. And whether we feel that or not, that's the reality of Scripture. And it's also the clarion call of why Christ had to die. Because he was the only one who would sufficiently pay the price in a way that would satisfy your justice. And so as we consider these things, we ask for your grace to teach us what it means to stand face to face with a God who will forgive us. For some here listening to this, they might need to simply say, God, I don't know if I've ever understood this this way, and I want you to forgive me of my sin, and I want Christ to come into my life, and I want to become a child of God and allow you to teach me about how we should live in a way that honors you. For some of us, Father, we need to deal with some of the sin in our own life, our behavior and attitude toward our spouse or our kids or towards work or our neighbors, and sometimes even towards ourselves, that we can be our own worst enemy and we don't see our eyes as through your eyes that we're a child of God who is greatly loved, but a failure who needs to keep performing to gain acceptance. And so we ask for your forgiveness for our unbiblical ideas and our bad attitudes and our bad behavior. As we continue to walk in fellowship with you, we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. When Jesus came to us in 1 Corinthians, when he sat down with his men, he basically said, take and eat this bread and drink this cup in remembrance of me. And one of the things I simply want to communicate to you as we think about this is the reality of that whole purpose. And so we're going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and just allow that to resonate in our thinking as we do this. I want you to take the second cup, and if again, if you have young kids and grade school kids, you might encourage them just to observe this element of it. But this cup really is this covenant relationship that we have with Jesus. We have a relationship with a person that's defined by the gospel. Lots of people say they have a relationship with Jesus, but it's fluffy and weak and superficial, and we redefine Jesus to fit what we want him to be, not what he wants us to become. And so our relationship has to be defined by the gospel. His death and burial and resurrection is that which we are surrendering to. And so I'm going to invite you to take this cup for those who uh, have known and loved Jesus Christ and take and drink it together as a recognition of Christ and what he's done for us. Take and drink. Father, we thank you so much that we don't just believe in concepts and ideas and myths. We believe in a person. That person is your son, Jesus Christ, who surrendered everything that he enjoyed in the eternal fellowship of the triune God, and he became like 
those he created. He took to himself flesh and blood. Father, that in itself is staggering, but then to suffer on our account is love that goes beyond anything that we can imagine. And we pray that you will teach us about how to love that way. And so in all of this, we just ask that you will help us in all these things to understand the nature of your love and how it needs to change our life. And we thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Before we finish reading the last passages that talk about Christ's resurrection, I want you to do something. I want you to take this bowl where you've put the bread and the juice, and I'd like you to find either another cup or another bowl, and I'd like you simply to pour that back into that other bowl. Set that one aside and make sure that you have a clear bowl in front of you. The reason for that is because as as much as this represented the grave, it now represents an empty tomb, that Christ is not there. He is risen. He's been raised. He is not just some fairy tale. There's all kinds of stories that went around about how this happened, but the reality is this is an empty tomb, and we serve a risen Savior, and I want you to hear it in the voices of 1 Corinthians and the text that that Josh is going to read for us. He is risen. He is risen indeed. That gives us hope. In the midst of our shutdowns and our global circumstances, the anchor of life is a God who cares about us and a God who holds us in the palm of his hand. I want you to remember, as we think about the futility of our faith, if Christ has not been raised, that the reality is, is that that is one of the greatest evidences and proofs of the validity of Christianity and the claim of Christ that we have in all of the scriptures. It is powerful, it is significant, and it is as relevant as anything else that we talk about in terms of our faith. Having said that, I want to... Uh, remind you that he is not just a dead leader, a profound teacher. He isn't just a person with great sayings that we cling to. He is a person that we submit our life to. He is an individual who we bow the knee and allow him to take leadership of our life. And and as we think on these things, I want to conclude with this idea that Jesus isn't just a resurrected Savior, but he is to reign fully in our life. Uh, There's a great passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 that we want to read, and I just want you to meditate on it and think about it, because that really becomes the capstone on how we move forward, not only as believers, but maybe some of you who are listening to us have never come to faith in Christ. I want you to literally hear the words of this text, and then we just want to summarize our time together in Easter.
there's really only two ways to finish a message like this. If you're sitting out there and you may believe in God and you might believe in the teachings of Jesus, but you've never surrendered your life to Christ, I want to plead with you that he didn't die and go through this brutality and shed his life to be an inspiration or to be an example. He did it to pay the ultimate price for your sin and ultimate separation from God. And if you never come to that reality where you're willing to believe God and to put faith in his promise in the person of his son and become a child of God where he forgives you of your sin, he adopts you into his family, he declares you righteous, and he removes you from his wrath, that when you die, you have no place to go other than hell, that there's no better place outside of the reality of being in Christ and surrendering to him. But one of the things that I just want to finish with is that is how important the heart of the gospel is for every person here who claims to know Jesus Christ as their own personal Savior. The passage that was read for us is that it says the love of Christ constrains us. The love of Christ compels us. Why? Well, because he's absolutely convinced that one died for all. He's really just referencing that Jesus died for us. And for those who have put faith in Christ in him, then it says, therefore we conclude that we've all died. And that might be hard to understand until you get to verse 15, but he repeats himself. He says, one died for all, which again refers to Christ's death. And then he says something very profound, that those who now live, those who claim to be believers, those who live, no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose on their behalf. This is why the gospel is so critical to every single believer every single day of their life after they've trusted Jesus. Because the only thing that's going to motivate us to serve, the only thing that's going to motivate us to share the gospel, the good news with others, the only thing that's going to allow us the motivation to sacrifice for the sake of our brethren, to demonstrate love, to forgive others, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so as you celebrate Easter... I want to plead with you that if you've never trusted Christ, we would love to hear from you and help you do that. But all it really means is in the sincerity of your heart and full assurance of faith, you just say, God, I'm I'm recognizing, even though I may not understand it all, that I'm a sinner and I'm separated from you and the penalty for my sin is death. And I can pay that penalty, but I won't survive and I'll never get to see you face to face and I'll never get to heaven. But if I trust Christ, if you trust Christ, he will forgive you and make you part of his family. Believers, children of God, those who are part of God's family, I beg of you, today's the day to start the rest of our life living, anchored to the gospel of Jesus Christ and serving him for his glory. He is risen. He is risen indeed. God bless. Father, thank you for your love and your profound sacrifice. Father, at times we have no idea how to process that. But we know of your love and mercy and all the things that you have done for us. We ask that you will deepen our faith. Help us to understand in the deep recesses of our own heart and mind a willingness to embrace the reality of what you've done in ways that go beyond our experience and go beyond our faith journey to this point. Father, change our heart, change our mind. Help us to live according to the gospel and to serve you with a whole heart because the love of Christ compels us. 
And Father, we thank you so much for your profound generosity and mercy that Christ came. He died on the cross, was buried and resurrected so that we might have new life. And for this we pray in Christ's strong name. Amen.